Everybody wants to be spiritual. At least it seems that way. If you talk to people about church or the Bible, you'll probably get a blank stare from most people in Britain today. But talk to them about spirituality and you'll probably get a much more interested response. It seems most people want to think of themselves as spiritual. And there are plenty of varieties of spirituality. Obviously, the spirituality of organized religion is still hugely popular. During Ramadan, millions and millions of Muslims fast. And no doubt for some of them, it's just a cultural thing. But for many of them, fasting is a spiritual thing. They do it with great seriousness. Then there's the kind of spirituality that doesn't really attach to any organized religion. But it uses some of the ideas or the practices of the larger religions. For example, Buddhist meditation is very popular, even for people who wouldn't call themselves Buddhists. There's also a growing interest in the occult today, contacting the spirit world. Not long ago, I sat in a cafe in Litchfield, and at the table beside me, one teenager was telling another about his visit to a medium to try and contact his dead grandmother. Last Sunday night, Steve told us that in France today, there are more people employed in the occult than there are in medical services. And for many people, spirituality is all about looking inside yourself. An example of that would be Oprah Winfrey in America and her brand of spirituality. And it really is a brand. Last time we were over there, Starbucks were printing sayings from Oprah on their takeaway cups. I got one that said, the only courage you ever need is the courage to live the life you want. For many people, that is spirituality. It's inspiring in a vague, non-demanding kind of way. Go after your dreams, basically. That kind of spirituality has no reference to God at all. It's not about connecting with something outside you. It's all about what's inside you. Along similar lines, last week I read a comment from the singer Nick Jonas. He said, my heart is very pure. And he ended that sentence by explaining that his pure heart led him to do sexual photo shoots for his videos. This can all be a bit confusing. Everybody wants to be spiritual. And everybody wants to decide for themselves what it means to be spiritual. It can get confusing for Christians too. What are we to make of all the spiritual stuff around us? Is it all nonsense? Or is some of it real? And if some of it is real, is there good and bad spirituality? I heard a Christian say recently, Islam 
is a beautiful religion because it's all about surrender to God. And that's what we want too, isn't it? Maybe when we hear that we think, well, yes, but is the desire to surrender to God enough to make something beautiful? Or is there something else needed in our spirituality? It can get confusing. And this kind of confusion is not new. The very first Christians were surrounded by this too. They lived in a world filled with all kinds of spirituality. The New Testament was written to help them deal with the confusion. And it was written for us too. The kinds of spirituality might be slightly different today, but probably not as different as we might think. But the way the New Testament speaks to this is just as relevant today as it ever was. We're going to look this morning at 1 John chapter 4. If you have a church Bible, that's page 1227. And in the large print Bibles, 1902. 1 John chapter 4, and we'll read the first six verses. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth And the spirit of falsehood. This is God's word. In these verses John talks about true spirituality. And he tells us two things. Two things that will equip us to deal with the confusion. First of all, true spirituality worships God's son. And second, we need God's spirit to recognize God's truth. John starts by saying, don't be gullible, friends. Don't be naive. Don't give credence to everything you hear. Verse 1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So John acknowledges right at the start, there are various kinds of spirits. There are spirits that aren't from God. We have to be discerning. Not everything that's spiritual is good. 
And we're told many false prophets have gone out into the world. So it's not just that the spirit world is a mixed bag. We have to realize the spirit world has human representatives. The men and women who tell us about spirituality are the mouthpieces of the spirit world. Some of them speak from God and some of them don't. But there is some spirit behind every spirituality. Jesus explained this before he went to the cross. He told his disciples to expect spiritual deceivers. He said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And here in our passage, John says, Jesus foretold it, and now you are surrounded by it. You need to be discerning. Not everything that's spiritual is good. Not everything that has spiritual power is good. Not everything that claims to be spiritual wisdom is true godly wisdom. John says we have to test the spirits to see whether they're from God. And in verse 2, he gives us the test we are to use. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. We can tell when spirituality is from God because true spirituality worships God's Son. That much is obvious from what John says. But the way John puts it is a little bit unusual. He says spirituality from God will acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Why not just say true spirituality will acknowledge Jesus? The reason John doesn't leave it at that is because a plain acknowledgement of Jesus is not specific enough. Most forms of spirituality will give some kind of acknowledgement to Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons acknowledge him in some degree. Muslims acknowledge him. Most spiritual people will tip their hat to Jesus in some way. But John is saying, that's not enough. The test is, do they acknowledge Jesus as he is presented in the Bible? So when a celebrity or a teacher name drops Jesus, we need to examine what they're really saying about Jesus. We need to find out what place they're giving Jesus. Is he being acknowledged as a kind of inspirational hippie? A mystical wise man? Or a prophet who shows us the way to God? Or one of many ways to God? John says none of those acknowledgments of Jesus are sufficient. Look for an acknowledgment that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. 
that he is God come to earth. God become man. He didn't start to exist when Mary gave birth to him. He's the eternal son. He stooped down into Mary's womb. He's not just a good man, he's the God man. But there's more to this. Because when we read the whole of John's letter, we realize the kind of acknowledgement he's talking about involves more than just words. A true acknowledgement of Jesus will change our life. It will involve a whole life commitment. Because if Jesus really is God come in the flesh, then he is Lord. He rules. He deserves our obedience. So some, any kind of acknowledgement to Jesus that doesn't bow the knee to him and live for his glory, that is not a true acknowledgement of him at all. Isn't that what John has been saying all through this letter? Those who belong to Jesus will turn away from sin. They will love one another. Their belief about Jesus will be shown in the life they live. So when John says test the spirits and test those human mouthpieces who talk about spirituality, John is not just saying to us, play theological bingo. It's not enough to get a little card with everything the Bible says about Jesus and then tick it off as we hear people saying those things. Now if we're truly going to test what we hear, We need both an acknowledgement of what the Bible says about Jesus and we need to see that confession lived out in a changed life. The Bible tells us the devil himself has a perfectly orthodox set of beliefs. He knows the truth about Jesus. But he doesn't live to worship and serve Jesus. John is helping us here to cut through the confusion about spirituality. Now we know that searching for the hero inside ourselves is not true spirituality. Following the desires of our own heart is not true spirituality. Nor is any kind of enlightenment if it doesn't result in worshipping the Jesus who is presented in the Bible. The Jesus who is fully man and fully God and Lord of all. And this test helps us evaluate statements such as Islam is beautiful because it's all about surrender to God. When we read the Quran, we discover the kind of surrender to God it talks about is not surrender to God through Jesus. And certainly not a Jesus who is God come in the flesh. The Quran claims Jesus was a created being. He came from the dust just like Adam. It assures us Jesus was no more than a messenger of God. It insists God does not have a son. 
And so for all the sincerity there might be in Islam, there will not be true surrender to God until Jesus is given his rightful place. The test John gives us shows us what to make of contacts with the spirit world that bypass Jesus, like seances or tarot readings. The Bible doesn't deny there can be spirits involved in those kind of things. But the Bible tells us if there are spirits involved, they're not from God. In fact, John says at the end of the day, there are only two kinds of spirit. Look again from the middle of verse 2. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Every spirit and every spirituality that does not give Jesus his rightful place is the spirit of the Antichrist. John Stott puts it like this. Behind every prophet is a spirit, and behind each spirit, either God or the devil. That's true also when the prophet is a self-help guru, telling you it's all about you. Your heart is pure. You can be your own savior. The only courage you ever need is the courage to live the life you want. There is a spirit at work behind that. And it's not the spirit of God. That's also true when the prophet speaks for a religion which says Jesus is just a human messenger. Behind every prophet is a spirit. And behind each spirit, either God or the devil. When the Spirit of God is at work, the Son of God will be given his rightful place, both in words and in obedience. Any spirituality that does not exalt the Son of God like that is from the Spirit of the Antichrist. That is what the text in front of us tells us. It's what the New Testament as a whole tells us. And all of this raises a big question. If this is true spirituality, if everything else is a con, in fact worse, the work of the devil ultimately, if that's true, why do so many people commit themselves to the con? Why does false spirituality have so many followers? Why has true spirituality so few followers? That's the question John answers for us in verses 4 to 6. He says, we need God's spirit to recognize God's truth. As Christians, we are in the minority today, at least in this country. And the same was true of the early Christians. 
The people John is writing to were not dominant in any sense of the word. Not in terms of numbers, not in terms of influence. They were small and they knew it. They were not under any illusions about it. And when we realize that, it seems pretty strange for John to say in verse 4, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. In what sense have these people overcome the world with its false anti-Christ spiritualities? They don't look like they've overcome anything. As far as things look, they're hardly making a dent in the world of their day. Barely even a ding. Well, these words have been spoken before. John heard them first from Jesus. They're recorded in John's Gospel. Jesus said to his disciples, Take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said those words, then he was arrested and crucified and buried in a tomb. That didn't seem like overcoming the world. But then a few days later he rose. He appeared to his disciples, which was amazing. But the disciples were mainly confused by it. By itself, Jesus' resurrection didn't galvanize those people. They didn't rush out and start preaching about it. They sat in a room and looked at each other. But then, on the day of Pentecost, God's Holy Spirit arrived. And in a moment, those confused, aimless people became confident and purposeful. The Holy Spirit entered into them and suddenly they saw reality. They were not just a powerless little group of ex-fishermen and tax collectors. They belonged to the risen Lord. Jesus had opened the way to heaven. By his death and resurrection, he had prepared a place for them in heaven. They were part of something that began in the Garden of Eden and would lead finally to a new heaven and earth. Their Lord would return. He would claim his eternal kingdom and they had a part to play in all of that. For the first time, those men and women saw reality. It all fell into place. And they started then to live for that reality. What was it that made the difference? It was the Holy Spirit. He opened their eyes to see reality. Jesus had overcome the world. His death was a victory over sin and death and hell. Those people realized their small numbers didn't tell the real story. They were with the Lord of heaven and earth. They couldn't lose. John has been through those events. He was there at Pentecost. And now he reminds these Christians he's writing to, this is true for you as well. You're part of this too. Verse 4. 
You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. John says to these people, you can see the truth because the risen Jesus sent his spirit among you. And the flip side of this is that those who don't have the spirit can't see the truth. Verse 5 They, that's the people spreading false ideas and false spirituality, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Why do men and women reject true Christ-centered spirituality? Why do they flock to other things? Is there something lacking in the good news about Jesus? Should we abandon it because the majority of people don't get it? When people turn away from the gospel, does that mean there's something wrong with the gospel? John says no. People don't get it because we need God's spirit to recognize God's truth. Only the spirit of God can show us reality. Without the spirit of God, we are tuned in to falsehood. We fall for things that aren't true. But when the spirit of God is in us, we recognize the truth of God. When John says, whoever knows God listens to us, he's not saying, whoever knows God listens to me, John, and my word, and the word of me and my mates. No, his point is, whoever knows God listens to the message I bring. The message that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That message did not originate with John. He didn't dream it up. It originated with Jesus. John and the other apostles are passing it on. In New Testament times, sheep farming was a major occupation. In the daytime, the sheep spread out over the hillsides. Different flocks watched over by different shepherds. But at night, the shepherds would bring their flocks together. For safety, they were all put in one sheep pen. Then in the morning, each shepherd would come to the door of the pen and he would call for his sheep. And they would come. They came because they knew their shepherd's voice. And Jesus said, it's the same with me. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. They hear my voice because my Holy Spirit is in them. And if we translate that picture of the shepherd and his sheep, what Jesus is saying is this. When my people hear the New Testament's message about me, they recognize the truth of it and they respond to it. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them 
because they are discerned only through the Spirit. That is the teaching of the New Testament. And when we take hold of it, it does two things. First, it takes away any pride we might have as Christians. It was not our IQ that led us to believe in Jesus. It was the Spirit of God. We have no reason to feel superior to anyone. And this teaching also stops us from being swayed by numbers. Throughout history, it has been the exception to find Christians in the majority. This world runs after lots of different messages. It does not usually run after the message of Christianity. But when you and I pay attention to the New Testament, we are not shocked to be in the minority. It doesn't rock our faith. It doesn't cause us to question the truth of Christianity. We realize many people don't respond to the shepherd. But that doesn't mean he's not the shepherd. It means they are not tuned to his voice. And they can't see him for who he is. They need the Holy Spirit to open their spiritual eyes and ears like he did with the disciples at Pentecost. We need God's Spirit to recognize God's truth. Joshua Bell is one of the best violinists in the world. He plays in the most celebrated concert halls around the world. And several years ago, he played a sold-out concert in Boston. The average price of a ticket that night was $100. Two days later, he took his $2 million Stradivarius violin and he played in the subway in Washington, D.C. What do you think happened? Well, what happened was hundreds and hundreds of people passed by him without stopping to listen. Hundreds and hundreds of people never even gave him a second glance in the subway. That day, he made $32. Should we conclude from that that Joshua Bell is no good? Would we be right to say, well, he's rubbish because people on the underground just walked on by him. They rejected him, essentially. They didn't gather around him and applaud. They didn't even stop. They didn't think he was worth their time or their money. So, does their apathy make Joshua Bell a bad violinist? No, the problem is not with Joshua Bell. The problem is with those people who couldn't recognize the sound of a top violinist playing a $2 million Stradivarius. Their lack of attention didn't say anything about Joshua Bell. But it said a lot about their own inability to appreciate what they were walking past. 
And according to the New Testament, this world's lack of attention to Jesus Christ is not a reflection on whether the message of Jesus is true or not. It's a reflection on this world's spiritual deafness. Jesus is the good shepherd, all right. He's the risen Savior and he is the Lord of all. But the majority of people are deaf to his voice. They're blind to the truth about him. They need God's spirit if they're going to recognize God's truth. So do not be discouraged when true spirituality is not popular. Recognize the problem is not the message, it's those who hear the message. And as you and I have opportunity to share the message, let's pray for the Holy Spirit to open people's eyes and give them spiritual ears. We cannot do the work of evangelism on our own. We need God's Spirit to work with us and around us and ahead of us. We need him to prepare people to hear the message. Then maybe you're here and you're beginning to look into Christianity. As you look into it, ask God to help you recognize the truth when you see it. Be humble enough to admit, maybe I am spiritually blind. Maybe I do come to this with some sort of spiritual disability. Maybe I need God's help if I'm going to see reality and hear the shepherd's voice. Ask God to open your eyes and give you ears that can hear. God has promised he will reveal himself to those who genuinely seek him. So let him know that you are genuinely seeking him. We stay in the dark spiritually because we think we can figure it all out on our own. But John says there are other spirits at work. Spirits that are not from God. We need God's help if we're going to distinguish truth from falsehood. So let's admit our need. Let's give thanks when we do see the truth. It wasn't our brain power that got us there. And let's remember the test of true spirituality. It will center on Jesus Christ. It will give the Son of God his rightful place as Lord. We're going to close by acknowledging together that we cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior and our faith rests in Christ alone. So let's sing, Who, O Lord, could save themselves?